Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high achieving and ambitious mid level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook. Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How are you doing? How is fall? Is there fall where you're at? There is not fall here in Florida yet. We get a little bit, but it's like December before it shows up. So it's still quite warm here, but I hope you're enjoying some changing of the leaves and color changes and all of those things. A few episodes ago, I had a guest, Mark Danahar, on to talk about career downshifting and how do you know that it's time and what can you do? And I think that this episode with my guest, Jeff Perry, is going to be a nice further, even deeper dive into that subject. And we're really going to be talking about your non-negotiables. And I, I love that term because it's one that I use with my clients, that idea of career clarity. What must you have to be successful going forward to get your your needs met on a very granular level in terms of the work that you do. So first of all, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Lisa, it's a pleasure. I'm so excited for this. Why don't you start by telling the listeners your story? Tell them about you. Okay. Well, there's a lot of things we could go into, but right now I have a company I call More Than Engineering, and I serve as a leadership and career coach specifically for engineers and technical professionals. But the journey to get there was a little bit winding as it often is for us. I I have that technical background in mechanical software, manufacturing, engineering, got into leadership roles. But then a few years ago, I got into kind of training and coaching work and just realized that for me, that work you know, lit me up and got me more excited about helping people on a more personal level than anything else I was ever doing technically. And so a couple of years ago, I decided that I wanted to make that more of and everything that, that I do. And so I like to say now that I've kind of gone from developing products like I did as an engineer to developing people in, in a lot of different ways. Very interesting. And before we get down into this topic, I'm just curious, what do you see around the work that you do specifically with engineers? What kind of unique challenges do they face that you work with them on? Yeah. Well, engineers can be notoriously skeptical and a little bit prideful. And so (laughs) uh, I found that engineers really, really enjoy having the ability to work with someone who's kind of been in their shoes and understands some of the unique challenges that they face and and understands that and is well-connected to their particular landscape and how quickly things are changing in technology and some of the struggles that some have had. I mean, different engineering industries got hit completely differently when it comes to COVID and the pandemic and other things. And so being able to understand that dynamic and 
be understood from a, this is what I do on a technical level and talk about some of those things and how to help them communicate the technical things on a more layman's terms basis when they're talking to other people as they're moving through career transitions. They really, really appreciate that. So you've got the creds to speak their language and they they listen to you because of that, I bet. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. At least I hope so sometimes. <laughs> I know when I when I first went to Truman State University as the director of the Career Center, I had to go speak to the fine arts faculty, which would include the music department. And I knew that historically they didn't see a lot of relevance in the Career Center. And so I knew what my ace in the hole was. And I went in there and they were, you know, arms crossed. Body language was, you know, why are you here and what do you want? And I said the magic words. I told them that I had a degree in music from Florida State University. And they were Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, now you're one of us. And it was because, and I knew this because I had looked in the faculty, whatever it's called, the, the handbook or whatever, where they have all their education. And fully half of the music faculty, if not more, had one of their graduate degrees from FSU. It's a huge producer of graduate level music faculty. And so I knew a thousand miles from Tallahassee, Florida, that that credential was going to open doors for me. And in fact, it absolutely did. So I know what you're talking about. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Sometimes people just want to be understood by someone who is sort of like them. And that's not always important. And and I recognize that there's a ton of value in working with people who don't think like you actually, but sometimes that helps us feel understood in, a, in another way. And, you know, engineers can, can like that sometimes. So we've got this situation in 2021. They're, they're calling it the great resignation and lots of other terms for it. But we've got a lot of people, I think maybe more than ever in history that are rethinking their career choice. They're they're questioning whether they want to go back to work, whether they want to stay in the same job, whether they want to stay in the same field, all of those things. And and you talk about it being an intentional career transition. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I use the word intentional to really represent the idea that if you're going to make some sort of change, you really want to make sure you're making the right change rather than just making a change. I feel like so many people, as we are seeing companies make adjustments to you know, pandemic or post-pandemic or wherever we are in this policies, as far as flexible work options and other things, or or people just recognizing that for one reason or another, what they're doing in their careers isn't really that satisfying, or they want to try something new. So many people make a move just because they're frustrated with their current situation. And they're just trying to move away from something that they are not enjoying or that they hate. I hear a word a lot, like, I hate my job. I hate my what I'm doing right now. Or, or they just feel stuck and there's nowhere to go and they don't know what anything else looks like. But intentional really makes us think about this idea that rather than just running away from something, we want to get clear on what we really want and move towards something that we're really excited about. And that process of getting intentional and thinking through these things that are really important to us is what I try and capture with that. Excellent. And how do you see this great resignation and kind of everything that's going on with the employment landscape these days? How do you see all of that kind of fitting in with this intentionality? Yeah, I think it's an opportunity that the pandemic was a wake up call for a lot of people. Personally, they revisited a lot of priorities that they had in their lives. They 
had the opportunity to kind of step back and think about what do I really want? What do I really care about? For some people, they got that first taste of having a little bit of more freedom in how they organize their work and recognizing that, you know, I hear from some people like, hey, I want to be able to work so that I can live, not live just so that I can work, right? You know, Mm -hmm. sentiments like that. And so the great resignation, I mean, we're all hearing all sorts of anecdotes and things. There's data being poured out around how many people are quitting jobs and and things. And I don't know if it'll be as big or not quite as big as some people are have predicted, but I mean, to some degree, it's certainly happening that people are recognizing that there are other opportunities, other things they can do, or other things that are more important to them than just making a buck or, you know, wasting their lives away at whatever job they weren't enjoying. And, you know, they're trying to find something that feels more connected to to them and and what they want to be doing with purpose. And some of the people that I've talked to are, it has to do with the specific job that they were doing. It's not the same as it was pre-COVID. I'm thinking of one of my, she's an assistant VP in human resources in in a major healthcare institution. And you know, that has fundamentally changed. Teachers' jobs have fundamentally changed. And there are many mm-hmm. examples like that. And so it's not that they didn't love the work they were doing before. They don't love the way that it, that work looks now. And there's so much uncertainty around whether it will ever look the way they liked again. Yeah. So that's another interesting, I think. You've, so you've got some people who it's the the work itself. They 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 just feel like it's just not for them anymore. Maybe it never was. For others, it's the way that they work. They don't want to go back in the office or they want the flexibility for a hybrid schedule or something like that. And then in other people, they're they're looking at their work-life balance and realizing that they can do better than they've been doing and they like the the way things are now and they want to figure out how to make that happen. And then you've got other people who are like, yeah, my job's not what it used to be. And I don't like the direction it's gone in. So I want to look at something different. So you've got all of these kind of Mm -hmm. situations going on. So what, when we think about this kind of concept of career clarity and non-negotiables, what does that mean to you? And how do you work with clients on that? Well, Lisa, I think you've struck on a lot of things. The fact that there's so many different factors that could be driving this for people that are different for the, you know, each individual or each family that we're going to be talking about here. And so one of the key things that I almost always help people do, especially when they're working through these clarity exercises and things, the, the whole point of it is to drive down to what really is most important to you as you move through this. And, and sometimes it, it, it can be as simple as making a very simple list on in terms of some of those things in those various areas of life, some of the work-life balance, some of the things you want to be doing with family life, some of the things that are really important to you about a particular company, the values that perhaps a company has or the culture or the product itself and what you believe about that and different things. And so you can look at these various different areas and say, what is really most important to me? And then get a list of a you know, narrow that down to some of those are going to be what we've talked about as non-negotiables. Like I will not take a role that is going to be doing things in this space because I just don't 
my values don't align with that for one reason or another. Or I'm, I had a client who said, who had worked night shifts for years doing op- operations leadership work at Amazon. And he said, you know, I'm not doing any more night shifts. He's got five kids and I, I'm not going to put them through that anymore. And as he looked at this next transition and some of the other roles that were related, some of them were asking for night shifts. And, and that was just a non-negotiable for him because of the family access and time that was really, really important to him. So, I mean, you can, so it doesn't matter what those things are. It, they're going to be different for every single person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we need to identify those and and not just what those things are, but why they're so important. So we can get not to, so we can also get to that deeper level of intrinsic motivation is really going to fuel this process. Because sometimes when we get to these non-negotiables, it, it takes courage. And sometimes we even have to say no to opportunities that in some ways look pretty good, but we have to be honest and true to ourselves if we're moving through this process and, and say, you know what, that's not really in line with some of the things I've, I've established here. That takes courage in a, in a time of uncertainty like this to, to say no to something when you're not sure if something else is going to be on the other side. But, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. I think these non-negotiables are so important in terms of I think there's a couple things that happen. I think one is when you write them down and articulate them, say them out loud, you're putting that out into the universe and the universe tends to conspire in our favor. I also think that articulating your non-negotiables helps avoid what I call shiny object syndrome. And mm, so this yeah. works in other areas where you're, so the example that I love to use is, is when my then husband and I were buying a home here in Tallahassee, when we first moved here, I created this spreadsheet of what we what was most important to us and actually weighted those things gave them a, a, yeah. a weight value mm-hmm. and in fact it was it, i guess it was pretty impressive because the real estate agent wanted to have a copy of it to to use with other clients but what it did was it kept us from that shiny object syndrome and so i we we had narrowed it down to two houses and one had oh this cool wine bar and I'd love to drink wine and it had these cool lights in the bedroom you know up in the ceiling and none of those things were my non-negotiables and it didn't have a couple of the non-negotiables that the other house had and so ultimately the other house was the one that we selected and so whether you're looking at a job or buying a house or maybe a car or making a decision about where to move you can use this concept of non-negotiables you know if you're if one of your biggest non-negotiables in where you live is that you want to be able to drive to the beach on the weekends, well, maybe Montana is not a great option for you, right? And so, and, and you may look at Montana and go, oh, but gosh, it's so pretty. And it's, you know, I like the change of seasons and all these things, but those weren't on your non-negotiable list. The beach was, and there's no beach in sight. So, yeah. so I invite the listeners to use this idea, this concept with any big decision that you're making. And what do you recommend in terms of tools or steps that people can take to figure out what their non-negotiables are and to get that kind of career clarity? Yeah. So there's a few I use pretty frequently with my clients. And some of those things, you know, are again are at different levels. So there's things on the job front. So I have a tool I call just job considerations. It's like the different pieces of what what is work going to look like? How is it going to be organized? What are the things that the company's doing that I like or don't like and different things? And so 
we can look at, at things just on the completely on the, the work front. And really, all I'm providing is just kind of a starter list sometimes of these are different factors that you need to consider or that, you know, maybe you just need to think about. Sometimes all we need to give people is just prompts to start their thinking. And then, but, but their imagination, the things that are important to them are going to come out there, right? And so certainly there's salary and, and other things, but, but getting into the, some other benefits of, you know, how strong the, the health insurance benefits are. For some families, that's absolutely crucial when they think about taking or not taking a job opportunity because of some particular health challenges that a, mm -hmm. a family might have, right? So, you know, every one of us is going to have different things. But then also, I look at themes of the career that also go beyond just the next job, but themes that you want to be thinking about kind of moving forward as far as what are the what are the things you want to be learning now? What are the questions you want to be figuring out about your career? Because the other piece of the career clarity thing, it's not like this perfect treasure map that say, hey, you know, people ask us like, where do you want to be in 10 years? Well, I know exactly where I want to be. And I it's going to go from step A, B, <laughs> C, D, and then I'm going to be there like this perfect treasure map and X marks the spot. And then I'm there and, and life is beautiful. Nope. <laughs> Career clarity isn't necessarily like that. I like to think for my engineering friends who are always designing, we have to go through prototypes before we come to a final product, right? So we go through these iterations mm -hmm. and each stage of our career, I think of like a prototype. It, it's a test. We're trying to learn everything we can. And so sometimes instead of saying, this is exactly what I want, you might even just ask yourself, what are the things I want to learn and experiment with? Sometimes we're experimenting with a different role or a different type of responsibility that we say, hey, I could like that, but I don't know. Sometimes we need to experience that to see. And so we need to try something out. And, and that can be actually changing roles or just raising your hand in your, current, in your current company and saying, hey, I want to try this other thing over here. Can I, can I give that a shot? I mean, I've seen engineers just in, in my world, be really versatile and move to, to finance or marketing or operations or all sorts of other things outside of engineering to realize that they really enjoyed that and could be really good at that. And, but they need to have that chance to try it. And a lot of times that's easier to do inside of your current company to just get a little taste or, or try something out on a project or something than, than, not, than trying to just make that switch blindly into a new company. Final thing I'll say, Lisa, that I use as far as tools, one of my favorite things, as far as tools go, I'm a big believer that the simplest tools are the, are the most effective often. And so it comes from the world of engineering and, and manufacturing, gets used a lot in root cause analysis, the tool called the five whys, where when we're trying to dive to a root cause, we ask, you know, what's the problem and why did that happen? Well, why did that happen? We're diving deeper. Okay. But I like to apply that to our goals and motivations. You know, again, getting to that deeper level of intrinsic motivation, like why is this really important to us? So if we look at that list of non-negotiables, I want us to examine each one of those and ask, why is that so important? And really test them and see if that really needs to stay on the list. Okay. And when we can ask, why is that important? Well, 
like, for example, if a particular salary number was important, well, I'd say, why is that important? Well, I want to provide for my family. Okay, well, why is that important? Well, I want to give my kids, you know, some great experiences that maybe I didn't have. Well, why is that important? Well, because I, I was okay, but but there's some thing, there's so many things out there in the world, and I and I want to you know, do this or that for my kids. Well, why is that important? And when, when we start diving deeper, we might start getting some inklings or some realizations like, oh, there were some things that I wish might have been different in my own growing up that I'd like to adjust there. And so we can see really and understand what's driving that for a certain thing that I want to be able to, to give to my kids or my family. And that's just one example, right? But that whole idea of just keep going a little bit deeper Five is a nice number, but you can go even further than that and ask yourself, why are these things really important and and dive deep? And sometimes I've seen people be really amazed by what comes out of that. For just to give you one example, I had someone who was really unhappy with her current career situation and she was really multidimensional, a lot of things that she'd done. And she was like, I don't know how to put this together and find something that I really enjoy. Um, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know what possible career could, could do that. And so she was so confused and working on this clarity stuff. So we got into why this was so important to find something that was really meaningful to her. And what it came out in the end for her was she realized that both of her parents growing up hated their jobs. And she Mm -hmm. saw that out of both of them. And she said, and she realized, I have no, I do not want that to be what my life looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, Just despising my job. I want to live a a fuller life than, than that. And so she was really, really motivated to do what she needed to do to try different things out, to have the conversations, to make some hard switches if she needed to to find something that she really enjoyed. And in the end, she found something that was almost custom crafted for her. It was, mm. it was amazing because she had really clarified those things that she wanted to try out. Yeah. You know, when you think about this process of getting clear on what you're looking for, you know, if you don't do that, how, how will you know if you found it, right? You, how right. will you put that intentionality out into the world? What I also like about your five whys, Jeff, is I imagine that sometimes as people go through those questions, either with you or on their own, they either realize that that isn't as as compelling of a non-negotiable, it isn't a non-negotiable for them, or they may see another way to get that, right? So this is the thing I want, and I thought that it had to look like this in the company, but now that I've gone deep, I realize that it could also look like this or this. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So we're really testing out those non-negotiables and and getting creative about what's really important. And sometimes we're adjusting what that non-negotiable, what the thing was on the list before into something different, or we're seeing other ways, like you said, that that could be possible to meet that. Absolutely. And I, I can't think of a time that I've worked with my clients on there. It's a profile of your ideal employer process that I take them through. And they, okay. they, they have, we prioritize them and, and identify what, you know, what is it about 
the vision of the company? What is it about the, you know, the, the culture of the company that is important to you and how important is that thing? And then they go out, as you mentioned, you use the term test the hypothesis, what a great scientific term. They start looking at potential companies and they realize that there's some other thing that they hadn't even thought of that they're drawn to. And then that shifts their list around or this thing that they thought was a non-negotiable turns out not such a big deal. And, And it's so interesting to watch. And like I said, I don't think I've ever had a client that hasn't shifted that profile as they've gone through the subsequent exercises I've had them do. Because they start to see, you know, what does this thing that's so important to me, what does that actually look like out in the workplace? And it's different than I thought it was, or it's better, or it's not as good as I thought it was, or this other thing is more important to me. So that's, I think, all part of the the deal. You don't have to know. It's a starting point, but it's going to evolve as you go through the process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, like you said, it's a hypothesis. We're testing that or you know, each career step is a prototype. We're we're testing, we're iterating, we're learning about and and so recognizing that this whole thing, both when we're looking at this next career transition, but our whole career arc is is a process. And we can't expect to know all of the details on how it's all gonna go. That's just the fact of life that we have to deal with uncertainty and change. And we need to be okay with that, which psychologically and mentally can be a hard thing for us to deal with. But it's a reality that it's there. And if we look at it the right way, we can look at it as exciting, right? Like this is exciting that I can keep discovering more about me and finding other gifts and skills that I can be really good at and ways that I can apply those and different ways that I can provide value for organizations or other people or customers Mm -hmm. or whatever is most important to you. It can be exciting to go through that journey of discovery. And it's so interesting to me. I don't know if you've had this experience as well, Jeff, but people who feel like they have to get permission from some higher power, which apparently includes us, which is kind of funny, but they need <laughs> a, they need approval from someone, some sort of papal blessing so that they can pursue some other career path, especially when they're in a profession. I imagine engineering falls in this category. I see it most often with teachers, but it's also things like, you know, nurses and whatever kind of set, you know, if you were a dentist, it's going to be, you're going to have to do some work around who you are as a human, who you, what your identity is is in order to go into some other field. Are you seeing that with with engineers where they feel like they they don't have permission to get out of engineering? Yeah, there there may be not permission or they feel like, hey, if I make a change now, then all those years of education and experience are just going to be wasted. And that's an example in my mind of what's called the sunk cost fallacy, okay? Of believing that, hey, if I've invested into something that is not working out well, then we don't recognize that just continuing to invest more and more and more into something that's not working and is not serving us well is actually just worse (laughs) than saying, okay, I'm going to cut this off and and I'm going to move forward. So yes, sometimes to make those transitions, we we may take a pay cut or we may have to take a step back or, or something, but recognize that in the end, if we're true to ourselves, it's going to be much better over the long run instead of staying in something that you've already identified and learned is not working, you're not enjoying, and you don't see a future in for one reason or another. Now, does that mean that an engineer necessarily needs to go completely out of engineering or a teacher can't utilize some of those teaching skills in some other areas? No. 
you know, I'm also a believer that we take with us those great things that we've learned in other roles and other jobs and other industries, even if we make really significant shifts and have therefore unique perspectives and ways that we can deliver value that other people can't going a more traditional path. And so, and the right people are going to see that, I, I believe. And, Absolutely. And that, so. Absolutely. And, and, you know, this is another place where a coach can be so helpful is to help you along with getting this clarity to help you articulate why this shift is important to you and why you want to make it mm-hmm. so that the people in your life who are just really concerned about you and they love you and maybe aren't as open to change as, as you may be, they mm-hmm. are going to have doubts, they're going to have questions and concerns about your maybe your sanity, but certainly <laughs> your, you know, your thought process and and having some help in articulating that with with a coach can be invaluable in standing up for yourself and articulating that to the people that matter in your life. Yeah, I find sometimes the role of a coach, like people who are trying to make these changes or overcome some of these challenges, they just don't believe in themselves that they can do it. And so I've had some people are like, hey, you know what? You believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And sometimes that's all they need is for someone to actually believe in them and and trust them and remind them of the value that they have to bring to to their employers, to their families, their communities Mm -hmm. in the world, because every single person has value to to bring. I'm a deep believer in that. And that's really one of my life purposes, honestly, is to help people see the value that they have inside of themselves. Absolutely. And I think if we frame this in the larger picture, and this is something I often talk about with with my clients, is your work isn't just the eight, nine, 10 hours a day that you're doing it. It affects the other two thirds of your life, because if you're not happy at work, you're not sleeping well, you're not getting the rest and relaxation and your relationships are suffering. No one goes from a job that they hate. Not not too many people, maybe it's possible, but they don't go home and just are fantastic spouses and fantastic partners and fantastic parents and children. They, that carries over, maybe it's in the form of grumbling and complaining, but it could be even more significant than that. And, you know, you can't stand in a line at the coffee shop for five minutes without hearing the people in front of you and back of you talking about their work and oftentimes not in favorable terms. So this is this is not just about work. It's about your life. And I think that's a really important point to make. Yeah, it's the big picture. I mean, work is part of life. It's a big part of it. If we spend 40 plus hours a week for however many years that we're going to do that, I mean, that is a huge chunk of our lives. And what are we doing with that? What are we learning from those experiences? How are we taking that into those other things? Our family and friends and communities are really important to us. The, the young kids like to say YOLO, you know, you only live once, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes they use that to justify doing stupid stuff. But I, I think when we look at that the right way to really value our lives and what we want to do with it, I think that can be a really healthy thing to remind ourselves of. So I think the main points that we've made here are that you want to be moving towards something, not just away from something else. You want to get very clear on what is most important to you. What are your non-negotiables? Avoid that shiny objects syndrome and know these are the things that must be present in an employer. And you can't have too many of them because you're not likely to find a company that has 
40 things, but I always try to get my clients to get it down to about four or five things that are just yeah. absolutely critical for them mm-hmm. and and then start doing their homework. And we actually, we go through a process where they rate. So they come up with an initial list of companies. These are ones that are top of mind. My friends work there. My family works there. I've heard of them. They seem like a good company. And then they yep. start doing research. And I tell them in that phase, I say, go down rabbit holes. So if you're researching ABC company and you keep seeing something about DEF company, you're like, well, I want to find out about DEF. So you want to go down some rabbit holes with that. And then you want to evaluate that company. All right. I've said that the most important thing to me is that the company has a certain culture. I'm looking for a certain thing in, in terms of culture. So I'm going to go on Glassdoor and I'm going to see what our former and current employees saying about that company relative to that culture issue. So I always give them instructions. Okay, for this thing that's important to you, here's the best place to go to get your answers. And then they actually score the company so that they can start to create their target employer list. These are the companies that are the best fit for me and and I believe that conversely, I'm the best fit for them. And they're the ones I'm going to put my the, the bulk of my energy into in terms of getting my foot in the door. Yeah. And, and those companies that you recognize may be best fits, they may or may not have a job opening that fits your description right now. And that's okay. But when we look at the companies that fit the, the things that we are recognizing are, are important to us and are in the industries, at least then the networking game begins and we get to really make some deep connections and, and learn and, and connect to, you know, what, what's possible, what are they really doing and validate those assumptions of mm-hmm. the research that we've done so far and get some advocates inside of those companies potentially that might help us navigate if that company really might be a fit for us. Exactly. So. And, and I, I actually like it when my, clients go have conversations with companies that don't have a position that's posted for them because then that means there's a no competition for the job because it's not out there and b they haven't created a long laundry list that they're looking for because in my opinion we do it backwards right we write this laundry list of what we think we want and then we go try to find somebody to fill it and jim collins Mm -hmm. in good to great would say no 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 no. what you do is you find the right person for the bus and then you figure out what the best seat is for them and you build the job Mm -hmm. around them. And he has lots of examples in his book of companies that did that. And I think that's the approach to take. So when you're having that conversation separate from a job being posted, you're talking about your fit with the organization. The other thing that happens in that scenario is that anything that you might not have that would have been considered a pretty important aspect of a job posting it's not such a big deal because now they've met you. They're they're really interested in you. You're speaking the same language. And like, oh, he doesn't have that certification. Not a big deal. Whereas had the job been posted, that certification could have been a deal breaker. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and so just kind of step back one step here, Lisa, I'm sure you work with people on this all the time, going into these conversations and connecting with, hey, what's possible in these companies? In addition to being really clear on what's important to us, what we want, I think it's really important for us to also spend a little bit of time on being clear who we are and what we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I what I think about when I think of personal branding, mm-hmm. right? And in ways that we put ourselves out there and in profiles and resumes and things like that on LinkedIn or otherwise, but then also just how we talk about ourselves. And so just, you know, one one thing 
that I think is really helpful is to really connect like, hey, what makes me unique when I think about the combinations of the experiences and the background that, that we have that makes me qualified to do some things in different ways that perhaps others aren't, I think can be really helpful. So one, one tool or idea around that that I really like that I use a lot is called the genius zone. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people have heard of it, but you know, to put it really simply, it's to list out, hey, what are those areas or those times in your life where you've really felt in the zone, like alive, you're excited, you're doing your best work. It's kind of a nice cha- combination of the, the challenge, but also proficiency that you have. And then sometimes are there combinations of those areas? Like for me, it was a combination of training and coaching and engineering that I bring that together. And, you know, I'm able to do this work for engineers in a way that's unique that that other people can. That's a genius zone for me, just as one example. For other people, they they have teaching skills in certain subjects, so they teach a certain subject together and their that ability to communicate that. Or some people have this marvelous ability to bring people together and build communities and you know, in, in certain industries. And so that's a genius zone. So whatever those are for us to spend a little bit of time identifying that. So then when we have those conversations with those people in those companies, we're able to kind of communicate that personal brand and that genius zone in a way and trying to understand how could that provide value for them? How could that, yes. how could they utilize that for them to be successful? Not with the mindset to, I want to show them how awesome I am, but how can I help them be successful? And that mindset is a, is a big shift there for a lot of people. I, perfect example. I had a client who I've worked with for more than a decade and she came to me, I want to say it's been four or five years ago now. And she is with a, was with a very large company that is a household name. And she was feeling stagnant in her job and she didn't know whether it was time to jump ship and go into a completely different field. And as we did the coaching work together, what she realized was, I called her Mary Poppins. She, her, her zone of genius was going into a department of a, an area of the company that was broken by every metric, right? The, the, the morale was low, the production was low, productivity, you know, everything was just terrible, right? And she would spend a couple of years, 18 months to two years in that department and turn it around 100%. Everything was just completely different. And her dissatisfaction when she reached out to me was the fact that she hadn't been moved on. So Mary Poppins, after the kids understood the parents and the parent, right? She's like bored, right? There's nothing left in her valise for her to pull out for magic to happen. And so what we what we negotiated was that she would have a conversation with her boss about this awareness and the interesting thing was when she had that conversation with her boss her boss the light came on for her boss cuz she knew it she just hadn't articulated it either and her yeah. boss valued her tremendously did not want to lose her in that company and so she was able to articulate how important it was for her to go to another department and do her do her genius there and so that that's just the perfect example of you having that self-knowledge, being able to articulate it and, and kind of manifest that, I think. Yeah. So you're helping employers put you in the right spot to succeed. Because sometimes like, like this great example, 
they don't see that. They value you and they recognize you're doing good work, but you want to be placed in the best spot that you can do your best work as possible. So you can do, because that's going to light you up and it's also going to be the best for the company. And we can mm-hmm. do that too. The worst thing we can do is put people in places that they are just not primed to be successful exactly. for one reason or another. And, and we set people up for, for failure and it's not good for anybody. Exactly. I so we need to advocate for ourselves to and understand ourselves enough to, yes. to, to push that forward as best as possible. Yeah, it's that old school concept of the Peter principle that people get promoted to their their area of greatest incompetency. And it's so <laughs> important for us to, you know, recognize that because, uh, you know, the, it's a two step process in Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. We got to get the right people on the bus, but then we have to put them in the right seat on that yes. bus. And in her case, she thought she was on the wrong bus, but she was just on the wrong seat. Yep. Or she was done with the seat she was on to be more, I think, accurate. She she'd yeah. spent enough time in that seat. Yeah, and I've and I've been there where that where that role switches from hey I'm a change agent to now I'm just maintaining what I've already changed for for people who are in that you know who that's their that's their thing they love being change agents just being a maintainer <laughs> rather than a producer or changer like that's not a fun place to be no. and for some people they love that but but we need to understand that about ourselves and figure out where where am I where do I do my best work mm-hmm. um, so I can get in the right spot. And that's not to say that we shouldn't do things and try things that are unfamiliar or uncomfortable that are going to push us to grow in other ways, but we still want to be leveraging our strengths. And if we've tried something and recognize that's that's not working, we after giving it our best shot, especially, then we can recognize, okay, I need to make an adjustment. And that's okay. And mm-hmm. we can figure out if that's internal or external, having those conversations is, is crucial. So Jeff, this has been fantastic. I I love talking with other career coaches and just bouncing concepts off of of each other. How can the listeners get in contact with you? Yeah, so a number of ways. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can find me, Jeff Perry. I also have a podcast of my own, which Lisa, you have been a guest on. It's called the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, hosted by the Engineering Management Institute. So for those who are specifically looking on uh, personal and professional development in the engineering and technical industries. It's a great place to go. And then my main website is more than engineering.com, but I also have some free training and an opportunity to join a more intensive program at called the Engineering Career Accelerator. And so people can check that out at, at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. That's a very engineering name. I like that, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Career Accelerator. Oh, and I did miss that. Mostly because this is specifically tied to the conversation we've had today on career clarity. I have a specific resource on career clarity that people can get access to. It is angled towards engineers, but I think it can be useful for just about anyone. I call it my career clarity checklist that people can get for free. And so they can get that at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com slash career dash clarity. And so... That's a, a free resource that might be helpful, especially with, with some other activities, some of the things we talked about today, but some other activities and exercises that might be helpful as people are working through this process. Excellent. We'll have those all in the show notes. Jeff, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, and I want to thank you for, for taking the time to do this. Lisa, thanks for having me. So great that we've connected and look forward to, to staying connected and seeing if I can help you in any other ways.
Absolutely. And you guys, I hope you got great value out of this today. Reach out to Jeff if you have follow-up questions, especially if you're in the engineering or I imagine technical fields in general probably will benefit the most from what Jeff is putting out there in the world. And of course, you've always got me as your career coach as well. So take care, have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.